holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. It's a goodly Monday, a goodly week, a, a goodly weekend really for Arsenal fans. Absolutely. It was fun, as it was exciting, it was thrilling. There was so much to like about everything that happened. It was just mm. perfect. We couldn't have asked for more, could we? I don't think so. I think I we could think have so. though. Maybe. We could have we could have we could have asked for more. I think we could have asked for more. What do you have in mind? Well, I was thinking that maybe you know it's probable, right, that, that cattle are transported in different ways, sometimes in a truck, sometimes uh, by freight, by ship. But there must yeah. be yeah. there must be cattle planes that somehow cows are moved from place to place in planes. I have to believe that this is a real thing. So okay. what, what I was thinking was that when I say we could have asked for more, I'm not sure we could have asked for more from Arsenal, but from the universe, would it mm. have been too much to ask for a, a, a cattle plane to have been flying over the Emirates, or certainly near the Emirates anyway, and for somehow the doors to have become dislodged or opened, and a cow fell on Sam Allardyce right towards the end of the game? Would that have been too much? It doesn't sound too much to me. I think it sounds very reasonable. I mean, is that are you prepared to make the sacrifice of that cow's life, or are you thinking that cow might survive the impact because of the cushioning it would receive from Allardyce below? Absolutely. It would just get up and go, whoa, holy shit, that was not the usual sort of thing that happens to me as a cow. And as a cow, I was probably on my way to become a burger somewhere. This is far superior. I have landed on a walrus in the middle of a football stadium and everybody's cheering for me. People would be just going, cow, 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 cow. The Emirates would come alive at this majestic beast who fell from the sky. That's true. It would be anointed as our new king. We could replace the, the Atom and Humber banners with just a huge banner of a cow. Cow. Yeah. That's what I think we could have asked for more, but, you know, that's me. You know what else I think we could have asked for? Maybe. What? Maybe. What? I would have really loved it if Harry Kane had missed the second penalty. Would you, though? Well, I know from a points perspective we wanted the draw, mm. but imagine how funny that would have been. I mean, it would have been no less than they deserved because I think both those penalties were total dives. Um, and yes, it would have been nice for for them to pay the price for that. I mean, they do get a lot of penalties, don't they? They're really a very divey team. It's very clear that they're being instructed to dive. 
if you look at yesterday, you know, yeah. two penalties, uh, Deli Ali got booked for diving. I mean, how many penalties are they going to get next weekend? It's true. I mean, it's nice for me. As I said last week, I've been suffering with this dizziness disorder and it's such a rare condition that to see 11 sufferers out there on the on the <laughs> football pitch as well really made me feel a bit better about myself. You know, they're clearly all suffering with the same inf- infliction. I mean, it, I, I worry because we are prone to leaving a leg out in the box, aren't we? I mean, we're not the cleanest in and around the penalty area. So if we give them half a chance, it's going to be, I don't know, penalty city at Wembley. Yeah, Mustafi, you know, goes to ground a little bit. He likes a good slide. And we are a bit last ditch when it comes to some of our tackling. Didn't they get a penalty against us Mm. a couple of uh, seasons ago? Or, yeah, maybe just, maybe at our place? There was a 1-1 draw, and I think it was one of those where someone hung a leg out on the edge of the box and... Could have been Dembele or somebody went down and got a penalty. Yeah, I have a recollection of that as well. I mean, look, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, the draw was, uh, I suppose, the, the best thing for Arsenal. But I mean, I I can't help but when Spurs concede a last minute uh, winner, I sort of can't help but will them to lose. I can't, I can't get over that instinctively in my system. No, I get it. I get it. I think everybody listening uh, can understand that. But maybe in the bigger picture as we're looking at what we have to do between now and the end of the season, them finishing uh, with a with a draw is good for us. I mean, I know Chelsea are in the mix there as well. And I think top four, you know, it's going to be a huge challenge for us. But anything that keeps us within touching distance and keeps the motivation high, I think is is probably a good thing. Um, mm. So, yeah. But the, the, the good news, I guess, the good stuff from the weekend all really came at the Emirates Stadium, which was... Uh just lovely wasn't it it was just lovely to have for, for to have a nice game that we played well in the new signings did well as you said at the start we couldn't have asked for much more apart from the cow i mean we could go back to the cow thing but no you're right i mean from a from an arsenal point of view it was just fucking lovely it really was because there were doubts before the game weren't there as to whether he was going to play uh, obama yang apparently we're supposed to call him obama young that's how you pronounce it I heard a commentator doing that. Is that right? Is that's, that correct? That's the right way because I saw uh, Matt Spiro uh, saying that. He says, is it too Say late? It for me now. Is it too late to tell everybody it's not Obama Yang, but Obama Young? It sounds weird though, doesn't it? Obama Young. Yeah. It's, okay, kind, it's kind it of Frenchy. Up. Yeah. Obama Young. Obama Young. Yeah, you can see why. Obama Young. So what do we do? Do we go with the young or the yang? What, I mean, we've got to make an executive decision here. Okay, so we'll we'll try and go with the young then. If that is that if that's the correct, I suppose we owe it to him. It feels like the least we could do to try and say his name correctly. Exactly, it'd be like somebody calling you James McNicholas instead of Nicholas. Yeah, it's a subtle. But- Andrew Mangon. Mangon. Gon. Gar. Mangon. Yeah. If you went to play in Ligue 1, inevitably that would happen, I suspect. Uh, there, There is a player, you know in uh, FIFA when you um, make your own player and then you can assign yeah. a, a commentary name uh, to him. Uh, there is one called Mangon. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he plays. Right. I don't know what he looks like. Sure. But he's there in the commentary. Mangon. That's good. I was worried for a minute you would have to assign yourself Mangala. That would be a, a real game. No, that would not be good. That would not be good. It's close, but not quite close enough. And uh, given the way he played on Saturday, 
Uh, I don't think I necessarily want to be associated with him or his name in in any way. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it from an Arsenal point of view, but I mean, if you're an Everton fan, that was um, that was some debut for him. If we talk about debuts from Mkhitaryan yeah. and uh, Obama Young, then uh, it's uh, it's quite the debut for that guy too. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> right at the other end of the scale, I guess. But I mean, were you surprised that they that they both started the new boys for Arsenal? Maybe a little bit about Obama Young. I am getting finding it hard to do this. Obama It's Young. hard, isn't it? it? Is. But let's push through. Let's push through. Obama Young. Obama Young. Okay. Okay. So we're di- we're doing it. We've committed to it, and we're going to do it. Um, and maybe it will become the new normal. I was a little bit surprised because there was talk before the game about how Arsene Wenger, when he's got a new signing, he tends to leave them on the bench and and throw them on, but. He clearly wanted to refresh his attacking options. So I wasn't surprised at all about Mkhitaryan. Uh, no, no, sorry, I'm joking. Mkhitaryan uh, <laughs> uh, starting. I, I, I thought he would start, uh, but uh, maybe a little better uh, about Aubameyang, but uh, it was a decision that paid dividends, right? Yeah. By the way, we can just call him Pierre if we want to make this easier on ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> just call him Pierre and be done with it. But yeah, I, I I said last week that I hoped and thought he would start. And I think as much as anything, that was probably to do with how sort of jaded and lacking in confidence Lacazette had looked against Swansea. I just think the freshness, you know, a bit of reju- rejuvenation in that front line was necessary. Uh, and, you know, starting him, he obviously had trained the day before, it gave everybody in the stadium a lift. Mkhitaryan, it was a sort of as good as announced that he would start. But to see them playing together, Meza Ozil in there too, I think just was a big boost before kickoff. I thought there were some other interesting elements about that team though. You know, a lot of people had called for Granit Xhaka to be left out of the side after the Swansea game. And yet there he was in there alongside Aaron Ramsey. And I, I, I thought he did pretty well in the circumstances. Yeah, I thought he was good. I mean, Wilshire was sick all week, so perhaps that played into the the thinking of the manager and his team selection. Alex mm. Iwobi was another who got a bit of stick before the game, and I thought, you know, he played very well also. Um, it was quite an interesting setup, wasn't it? Because I thought maybe we would play three in midfield, but we played that midfield too, and then ahead of them we had a three behind the one in Aubameyang, and that was... Mm. That was an interesting way to set up. It's kind of the way we were playing a bit when we uh, beat Chelsea uh, 3-0. You remember that game um, when you were on your way to New York and missed half of it? But that that was the same sort of thing where we had that. We talked about that that fluid front four, didn't we, at the time of Sanchez, Ozil, Iwobi, or was it Walcott um, who was playing up front? Yeah, yeah. or Sanchez was playing up front. But those front four, and we thought, okay, that's the way to do it. and that's the way we set up on Saturday against Everton. And you could understand why people were a bit concerned about Xhaka. He hadn't played very well against Swansea and his form is is not great. Uh, I think Iwobi, since the the incident, if, we go, if we're going to call it that, has responded really well. He wasn't great against Swansea, but then nobody was great against Swansea. I think in general, he's worked harder. He's contributed well. I thought he was very well involved with everything good or with a lot of the good stuff that we did in the first half. So I was really pleased uh, to see that. But I think we look at the game on Saturday, it's hard not to escape uh, comparisons with the game against Crystal Palace a few weeks ago when you score early and you score early again and again. Um, I mean, it's great. I love those 
flurries of goals. Um, you know, as much as you might love a last-minute winner or something, I like when a team does what we did there, uh, which is to score, what, three times in about uh, 12 or 13 minutes. Uh, it really, it really just fucking puts you in the driving seat and you can control the game. Yeah, I mean, and it reminds you a little bit of the Arsenal teams kind of of the early 2000s where it, I know sort of it's spectacles now, but it feels like at least in home matches, we often would go two or three goals ahead inside the first 20 minutes. Second half would be relatively pedestrian and we would kind of control it and see it out. And the, the, the opposing team would look to regain a little bit of pride having sort of surrendered essentially in the first half and it, it is heartwarming and almost nostalgic to see us doing that to a team uh, I mean Everton definitely contributed to that and that's not to take anything away from our attacking play which was scintillating at times but they were very poor but uh, you know it's two sides of a coin isn't it it's always tempting to look to to praise us or blame them but I think both contributed on the day and I think inevitably given the changes in the squad given what we've been through this season we're going to focus on the the positives and look at the, the guys who shone for us. Mkhitaryan in that three that you're talking about behind the striker was sensational. I mean, you know, it's incredible, isn't it? That we're talking about a game where Aaron Ramsey scored a hat trick, and yet most of the discussion subsequently has been about a, another midfielder. Well, yeah, I mean, look, he got a hat trick of his own, a hat trick of assists, and of course, people uh, have been watching Aaron Ramsey for for a long time, so they know that on. Days when he gets good service, he's he's more than capable of scoring goals. I think we might just come back to to Ramsey in a minute, but just to stick with Mkhitaryan, you know, when the when the Alexis thing was first mooted, this swap to Manchester United and Mkhitaryan coming our way, I was really cold on it. I have to say, really cold. I thought, fuck, this is not a good deal for Arsenal and you come to terms with things after a while and you think okay well this was a guy who was absolutely sensational at Dortmund uh, and I know you know a number of United fans who talked about how he wasn't really given a fair crack of the whip at Old Trafford with Jose Mourinho we can see that there were very obvious differences there between him and the manager confidence takes a knock when you're not trusted there's no faith in you it's hard to perform etc etc so you're thinking okay Maybe, maybe if we can get him to rediscover his Dortmund form and then we sign Obama Young and you're thinking, okay, if we can get him to click again with a guy who he's played with before, this could be really, really encouraging. But I was not expecting anything quite like what we got on Saturday against Everton. I mean, you can see he's a really intelligent footballer really smart on the ball and I loved the third assist in particular for Ramsey to make it 5-1 he looked up he saw where Ramsey was going to be he saw Ramsey was there in the first place but saw where he was going to be and just played him absolutely the perfect pass uh, to set up the goal and look three assists in one game is sensational he set a very high uh, standard or a high bar for himself and nobody should expect him to repeat that in every game but I think we can see we've got a player who has has immediately fitted into an attacking system that when it works is still really, really effective. And uh, there's a lot of new stuff to talk about when it comes to our attacking system, but it was a hugely encouraging debut. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to do now between now and May. Yeah, I, I, I was really impressed by, <clears throat> I, I guess, the speed at which he did everything. You know, I, I guess like a lot of English football fans, I hadn't seen much of Mkhitaryan because he'd been so fleetingly involved at United. And obviously I'd seen clips from Dortmund when we'd played Dortmund back. I was really struck by the, the speed of his movement for a start. He's much quicker than I 
thought he'd be. Lacazette in that respect. Over five yards, he's got some real acceleration and it enables him to get away from his man, to get into space. But then touching on that third assist that you mentioned, the, the, the pace at which he plays, you know, there's always intent. And we saw it actually against Swansea. He came off the bench and he played that one cross from the left-hand side, a low cross that was played with real purpose across the six-yard box. Nobody got onto it, but he did that so much again, you know, against Everton and, and we got goals from them. And the one for Ramsey was so accurate, so deliberate. I thought he was really, really good. And it, it was interesting as well. You know, I, I talk about that pace in his game. Just to sort of come back in here, myself and James are having real uh, issues uh, with connectivity and uh, staying connected to each other and the sound quality. So we're trying to work around this. Um, James, you've been trying to make a point about Thomas Rosicki for the last 20 minutes, but we, we haven't been able to get there. <laughs> Basically, Mkhitaryan reminded me a bit of Thomas Rosicki. That's all I've been trying to say for the past half hour or so behind closed doors. But you know what I mean about no, this is this is no good. It's not happening. People can hear actually on this how bad it is. So we're going to have to resort to the most industrial uh, method of all time, which is Skype, which is going to make you sound a little bit weird. But let's um, let's do Skype, and uh, I'll play some interval music while we do that. Well, look, our, our connection issues are ongoing. It's almost, James, as if a cow has fallen from a cow plane and landed on the <laughs> internet that we're trying to use. But yeah, I see your point. Yeah. I see your point about Thomas Rosicki and I see the similarities in, in the way that they play and what Mkhitaryan could bring to this team. But um, I suppose the thing that people were really looking to see was could Mkhitaryan hook up again with Obama Young? And they did that. Uh, for the fourth goal, a really, really great goal, I think. Um, not even slightly offside for me. I don't know what offside is anymore. No, perfectly timed. Yeah, exactly. I do, who knows what offside is anymore? In this crazy Premier League season of ours, we've had uh, some offside decisions go against us. So I'm not going to start complaining about that one. No, I don't think we can. I think, you know, I mean, I don't care. I mean, I was going to attempt some analysis of it, but I don't care. And when that ball hit the net and he finished it as beautifully as he did, I couldn't find it in my heart to care whether or not it was offside. No, I did not care one single bit. In fact, I quite enjoyed the fact that it was a bit offside because it feels like we're due one. We've been overdue a decision like that. Um, you know, of course, in the interests of fairness, we should have said, excuse me, no, we can't take this goal because it's offside. And we are Corinthian mm. sporting Arsenal. This is what we do and how we do things. Look, you know, it just shows you that sometimes in seasons you get decisions that go for you and sometimes they go against you. Just before that, though, and before we talk about the goal again, the uh, there was a great block by Shkodran Mustafi to deny Theo Walcott a goal, which would have made it 3-1 and perhaps changed the dynamic of the game a little bit. So we've got to give him some credit for some uh, some top defending there. 
Yeah, he did really well actually in that in that instance. I mean, Theo uh, probably not a great day for him coming back to the Emirates Stadium. His team being humbled like that, he was brought off very early. But that was the kind of one moment where he threatened and he, t- he cut inside. It looked like he was going to just bend it in the far corner, but it was a a very very good block from Mustafi. So credit where it's due. He had a nightmare in the week, but uh, that was a good moment. Mm. For him. So the finish, the finish by Obama Young. Um, Delicious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, he didn't panic, did he? Remarkable composure. I mean, it, it's to take your first Arsenal goal in that style, uh, as you say, it's absolutely scrumptious. I really enjoyed it. Scrumptious. What a, what a great word to describe it. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, you can see how those two players are, are, are already on the same wavelength. And I think it was interesting about the first goal as well where the ball played into Obama Young by Ozil, who then uh, just played, mm. he played it first time to where he kind of knew Mkhitaryan was going to be in that system. So that that augurs well. You know, when you, when you bring in two new players and two high-profile new players, sometimes it can take them a bit of time to adapt to each other. But these guys know each other so well that when you make these huge changes to your attacking lineup and your attacking system in January... There is something to be said for having two guys who know each other that well. I think so. And, you know, harking back to what you said about not being entirely convinced by the Mkhitaryan deal when you first heard about it, I do think the Aubameyang signing made the Mkhitaryan signing a better one because suddenly you had these players who had this history and had this understanding and had this connection on the field. And they'll they'll help each other settle too. The fact that they know someone else at the club straight away. And you could see that understanding on the pitch. It was just... It was fantastic to see not only those two and how they had that kind of interplay, but how that intersected too with Meza Erzl and Alex Awobi, who is a player who's had a lot of stick, but did not look out of place and helped keep the fluidity of that front four moving. It was a, a really exciting combination. Yeah, I think it's a good word to use. It was exciting to see us play like that because we did play well against Palace, obviously, and we scored those four goals. The key for this team right now is is to try and find some measure of consistency, which they've been unable to do. Well, certainly, certainly in general at home, I think we've been pretty consistent. If you look at the Premier League table with home games alone, we're right up there. It's the away games that are killing us, and we might touch on that a little in the second half. Um, 4-0 at halftime, though, it's inevitable, I think, that when you're 4-0 up at halftime, the game is going to go a bit flat in the second period. And that's certainly what happened. Everton came out. They'd obviously been given a, a good talking to by Sam Allardyce, um, who, who probably was not um, uncompromising in his choice of words. I think afterwards he described the whole team as crap. Uh, so yeah. what, he, what he had to say to them at halftime... Uh, I think probably sparked a bit of life back into them. And uh, we made a change. Kolasinac came on for Monreal, who'd picked up, I think uh, Arsene Wenger said he was sick, actually, rather than picking up a hamstring. Although I did see him at some point. He looked like he was holding on to the to one of his buttocks uh, as if he'd done a hamstring. So hopefully it was just sickness. But, you know, it was flat. And, you know, you can understand why. You're 4-0 up. The game is pretty much won, even uh, by Arsenal standards. And I know people will talk about the Newcastle game a few years ago, but look, generally, when you're 4-0 up at halftime, that's that. Yeah, and at home too, I think it's an even more substantial cushion. And I don't think that's any bad thing. I mean, you know, we absolutely blitzed them in the first half and were able to take a more controlled approach in the second. They did get a goal back 
Pedacek, you know, he's looking for that landmark clean sheet. I feel like with this Arsenal team, he might be looking for it for a long time. Mm. Uh, any particular complaints about the goal? Did you feel that Kolasinac should have done any better when Calvert-Lewin got above him? Or do you think maybe there was a foul in there? Mm, I think maybe he could have done a bit better. It's it's not one I've watched back, actually. So I'd need to watch. I should have right. watched it back, shouldn't I? You know, in terms of preparation for a podcast. Yeah. I should have. Will I, <laughs> will I watch it now? Yeah, watch it now. Why not? Watch Why not? it now. Okay, hang on one second. What's the worst that could go wrong? We've we've been through so many technical bails already. I think. Yeah. Um, okay, here it is. I'm going to watch it. Boom, boom, boom. It's 4-0, Okay, here we go. I'm just rewinding the thing. Um, okay, I've got to the video. Yeah, they've just scored, so I'm going to watch it here. Build up play. Then move it out to the right. Um... Yeah, maybe he could have, you know, like jumped. Yeah, he just stood yeah. there. He didn't he didn't jump. That's the problem. He's standing there and uh, I don't know if there's a foul. Maybe there's a little bit of hands on the back, but he didn't make it difficult for Calvert-Lewin. No, it's one of those where like the hands are kind of on the back, but that's because your back's in the wrong place. Like <laughs> you should have jumped with the guy. Um I know it's kind of a little bit open season on Kolasinac. People, he's a, you know, one of those guys who's been a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, a, a target in recent weeks because he's not been in good form. But I, I did think he should have done better there yeah. in that duel. I've got some questions. We've got a question, I think, about Kolasinac for, for part two. Right. Um, but look, we got the fifth goal and that was Aaron Ramsey's hat trick. He was about to come off for Jack Wilshire and Mkhitaryan. We've spoken about the... Uh, the quality of the ball into him. Now, I know Ramsey's second goal uh, had a touch of good fortune where it deflected off Mangala, I think, and, and wrong-footed mm. the goalkeeper. But I think the two finishes uh, for the first goal and the third goal uh, were really interesting. Just controlled. He let the ball do the work. It's that old adage, isn't it, that you hear when you're on the, on the football pitch training. Let the ball do the work. Um, mm. And on both occasions, he, he used the momentum of the ball very well. The first one, he just side-footed Camley home. The third goal was really, really controlled. If you look at the way he finishes that ball, he just times it perfectly, keeps his head over it, um, just uses the momentum and the pace on the ball to drive it in past the goalkeeper. Really, really good finishing there from Aaron Ramsey. And I think he's shown that when he is um, when he is given the kind of service that his forward movement and his forays into the box um, deserve at times, he is a guy who can get you goals. People get frustrated with him, don't they? Because he's not necessarily the most defensively minded midfielder, ignoring the brilliant tackle he made at the back post the other night against Swansea. Um, but he's not being instructed... And he's not expected by the manager to do an awful lot of defensive work, is he? He is a guy that he wants to get forward. He wants him to time those runs into the box because he knows that if the service comes in, if the balls come in, Ramsey is the guy who's going to get you goals from midfield. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not the first time this season we've seen him produce that kind of composed finish. And, and if you think back, Ramsey... So many times previously he's thrashed at chances. You know, he's gone for power. He's knocked it about 20 yards over the bar. Now he's arriving at the right moment, but he's having the composure to take a more measured approach with his finishing. And I thought that was really encouraging to see. And, you know, 
I know that he comes under fire, comes under a lot of criticism, but I do think he's an outstandingly talented player who, you know, you mentioned that slide tackle uh, in the Swansea game. What players can you name who are capable of producing that at one end of the pitch and then a hat-trick in the next game? Very few. He's a very well-rounded footballer who is trying to make things work in a midfield that is not properly structured. So mm. I actually think he's had a good season. I think it's six Premier League goals, six Premier League assists. That's a decent tally. He needs to push on from there because with the ability he's got, I mean, how many times have we said this, but mm. he's definitely a 10 to 15 goal a season player. For sure, but it all depends on fitness and injuries and his availability yeah. and, and everything else. But you know what's interesting? When you think about the two games against Everton, we've scored five in both games. The first game back mm. in October, we scored five. And it was one of the first times, I think, that Arsene Wenger had been able to deploy Sanchez, Ozil and Lacazette together. And we all came mm. out of that game and went, whoa. This is exciting. This is something new. We've got a new uh, movement, new striker up front. He looks clinical in the box. The movement he has, the way he helps the team, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward three months, and we have a completely different front three. Uh, And (laughs) we're saying the exact same thing. After scoring five goals again against Everton, we're going, oh, this is the new thing. You know, Obama Young, Mkhitaryan, Ozil in behind, Iwobi, you know, as part of that front four. It's quite curious, isn't it, that just, what, three months apart, more or less? A little over three months. The changes have been so significant. And we're kind of, I won't say we're like clutching at a straw or clutching at straws or anything like that. But we're saying the same things after this game. This is what we need to happen. This is what we want to work. Um, but it's it's a completely different group of players almost. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I guess that that win away at Goodison Park, we we hoped and we felt like that was the start of something and never quite proved to be. I think partly because Arsene Wenger was sort of curiously reluctant to play that front three together on a regular basis. You know, they didn't get loads of game time in that period uh, as a trio, as a collective. Hopefully this is the start of something. It felt like it. It felt like it, but Mm. as you've just made clear, we've been in that position before. And really, I mean, you know, this was a a home game. You know, we won against Palace in similar fashion. The test is, can we go and do this away from home? Or at least can we be a good, a darn sight better than we have been because our our away form has been so diabolical of late. Yeah, it really has. It really has. But yeah, look, we'll, we'll obviously hope that this is something new and something fresh and something that can work on a more consistent basis because if it does, you can see how the rest of this season could be really, really exciting. Um, People have been talking a little bit about Lacazette, of course. He missed Mm. out. He didn't play. He didn't get on in the game. Obviously, the the substitution of a goalkeeper uh, robs you of an outfield change which might have happened. He might not have played uh, Obama Young for 40 or for 90 minutes on his first day after being ill during the week, et cetera, et cetera. But he didn't get on. What's your feeling on the whole thing? I mean, to me, there's an element of the new guy coming in and people being absolutely willing to write off the old guy because we've got this completely shiny new thing. And I understand people are really excited about Obama Young and what he can do and the way he plays. There was that amazing moment, wasn't there, in the first half where Ozil played him through in behind the defence and he didn't even look like he was trying to run that fast and the Everton defenders yeah. were were behind and they were going you could see them like trying to catch and they just couldn't catch up so to have a guy with that kind of pace is like oh that's that's so exciting and you can see why people are enthused by it but why does it have to come at the expense of something else why can we not have that thing 
And also the other thing, which is Lacazette, who is a slightly different kind of a player, but in the box, a clinical striker. Can we not enjoy having two good strikers in our team? If one of them is going to play a bit more often than the other, so what? We can't just have mm. one striker. We need Lacazette as well. And I find it just a little bit curious um, as to why people are completely writing him off now. Um, it's just yeah, a strange I, thing, yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, it has been a hell of a pendulum swing because I did feel like prior to that, Lacazette had been one of the more praised players this season, you know, looking at the kind of broad spectrum of Arsenal fans and what I'm seeing on on social media. People thought he was having a decent season mm. until Aubameyang arrived and suddenly they were ready to, to discard him. I actually think that there are kind of two sides to this. I think you're right that, you know, it's odd to suddenly turn on that player. But I also think it's equally odd to... There's a kind of obsession among the Arsenal fans at the moment of like, how can we cram all these players into the same eleven? You know, can we get Lacazette, Aubameyang, uh, Özil, Mkhitaryan, you know, all our favourites, Ramsey, Iwobi? Can we squeeze them all into the same team? I also think mm. that as much as you don't want to write off Lacazette, you also don't have to necessarily force him into the team. You know, healthy competition exists now between two fifty million pound strikers. You know, if we think back to, we were speaking last week about the days when we had Olivier Giroud backed up by Yaya Sinogo. This feels like progress, and I'm I'm taking that as a positive. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like this is a better, I'm not going to say plan B, because plan B speaks to something a bit more industrial, really, doesn't it? Where you stick it in, in the mixer towards a big guy, that's yeah. a plan B. And Giroud obviously has done amazing things uh, in the last 12 months, in particular when he spent more time on the bench and his, uh, his effectiveness in coming off the bench has been a real boon at times. But if our plan B, so to speak, is a, a, a canny, clever striker like Lacazette, who we could put on in a wide position who we could play with Aubameyang up front you know there's nothing wrong with that I think you know to have these two players um, is fantastic for us um, I can see why one would be preferred over the other but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here no and also we can't to do that because as we've said many times we are reliant on Lacazette in the Europa League which is still a massive massive focus for Arsenal this season so the idea that Aubameyang's arrived and suddenly we don't require Lacazette or he's no good to us uh, is nonsense however I do think in the Premier League you know his chances are going to come primarily from the subs bench I did kind of find it amazing that you know, we've seen Lacazette so many times withdrawn after 70 minutes. And yet in, in Aubameyang's first game, he played the full 90 minutes. I mean, I did find that. Uh, well, I, I think, know there were. I, I think it was the goalkeeper thing. I think it was. I think if, us, uh, if Czech had had not had to come off, we'd have had an extra change. And I think it would have been probably Lacazette for, uh, for Aubameyang, simply because the manager yeah. would have wanted to give him some time on a day where the new boy shone and he didn't want to uh, affect his confidence. You know, give him a chance in the final 20 minutes against a team that's a bit tired and maybe we could have uh, created a bit more. So I think that that played into that. And he is going to be an important player for us in the Europa League as well. He, you know, the, mm. the striking burden rests on him in Europe. And um, as we've said uh maybe last week, the the possibility of getting into the uh, Champions League via the Europa League is very real for us. It's not something we should take lightly. So it's 
it's an important uh, piece of our season that he has at his feet. So you'll have to carefully manage him and make sure that he's not feeling, you know, despondent or anything else. But at the same time, there's an opportunity for him to really respond to the fact that he's got the European games. And if Aubameyang is going to play the Premier League games every week, more or less, as long as we're in the tournament, there's a chance for Lacazette to show Arsene Wenger that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a good striker too. There's a reason why you paid £50 million for me. You know, don't forget who I am. But, you know, there's part of that is on him to start producing the goals. Are you happier with having the pair of Aubameyang and Lacazette than you would have been of Aubameyang and Giroud? Like, do, do, you, do you think that having those two top-quality strikers is, is really the superior pairing? Or do you prefer one with more contrast, maybe, if you had Giroud in there? I think... Look, I really liked Olivier Giroud. I, I, I think he was underrated. I think he got too much criticism. I was aware of the kind of player he was and the limitations that he had and what he could bring to the team. And he brought that pretty much every season. But I think there comes a point where you have to change. You have to change things. And the fact he went to Chelsea, I don't like that. Of course, nobody likes that. But I don't, you know, w- with a few days of getting used to it and everything else... I think there comes a point where change is good for the player, as we've seen at Theo, uh, Theo Walcott at Everton, obviously not at the weekend, but since he went there, he's, he's played quite well and scored some goals and made some assists. And it can also be good for the team. It can be good for the club um, that loses that player because they have to they have to think about things differently. They have to think about how they're mm. going to play differently. And if you have Giroud on the side, you know, it's. I'm not saying it's easy to fall back on the option that he gives you, but you become comfortable with it in a way. So I, I'm curious, I'm more curious to see what we can do with Lacazette and Aubameyang rather than just going, okay, well, Giroud's in the team. Or if we get an injury, then we're reverting to the kind of football that we have to play with a striker like him, right? Whereas mm. I think we can play more or less the same game with Aubameyang and Lacazette. Aubameyang's got more pace and can probably hurt teams in behind a little more. But if you put the ball in the box the way that we did for Ramsey, uh, Lacazette's going to be there to finish some of those chances as well. So I think it was time for Arsenal to find a new way without Olivier Giroud. Maybe I'll come to regret that or those words will come back to haunt me. But just in terms of how I feel like it might force us to play or think about the game in a different way, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think you might have a point there because I think at times it became a bit of a fullback option yeah. for Arsene Wenger. You know, he, he would revert to Giroud when he came a bit unstuck and it was almost habitual. And I think taking that option away from him uh, may be a good thing for the evolution of the team. And certainly, you know... It's it's a, a really exciting prospect to think that we've got both those strikers on the books. And I thought about Miang, you know, we talked about the finish. We talked about that moment of electrifying pace. I thought his movement throughout the game was really good, really good. So I think there was more to it than that. I think he had a, a really strong opening performance. Mm. So look, a good day overall. One we needed, obviously, after Swansea and ahead of a, a North London derby this weekend. We really had to get back to winning ways. And I think it's the kind of attacking performance that, like... We, we, I'm not saying we've been predictable, but you could probably look at this Arsenal team over the last 12, 18 months and know how it was going to play and how it was going to attack. And in some mm. ways, for all the boost and the freshness that it's given us as a team, it's also given the opposition something a little bit different to think about because they don't quite know how we're going to play or they'll have looked at what we did against Everton and thought, OK, that's different. We're going to have to change the way we think about Arsenal. We're going to have to you know, find a new way to stop them. So that's a positive too. 
It's a real positive. It's a real positive. I suppose the question is, is the way we played against Everton something that's portable? You know, if you look at our next mm. game, the North London derby at White Hart Lane, is can we just take that template and apply that at Wembley or do we have to tailor our approach slightly? I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. My, my, you know, it was quite an expansive way of playing against Everton and, you know, the back four with just Shaka and Ramsey ahead. I think if we if we take that to Spurs, we're certainly incurring some risk there. We're kind of hoping that our attacking power can maybe overcome them and we can win on that front. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, they're interesting times, certainly. They certainly are. Okay, well, look, um, we've managed to struggle to the end of part one, so we're going to take a break and we'll come back with your questions and lots more in part two right after this. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC+, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us very kindly on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. James, I'm going to start. We mentioned him earlier in the show. And T Marks, mm. who's at TJG Marks on Twitter, says, bearing in mind Kalasinak was German left back of the year last year, why does he look so terrible for us? Do you think we'll sell him in the summer? Uh, good question. I, I think, well, at the moment, it feels like there has to be a risk that we might sell him in the summer simply because he seems markedly out of favour with the manager. I mean, why does he look so terrible right now? Uh, I think it's because he's out of confidence. Uh, I think it's because we're playing with a bat four and... He is not really a guy who's suited to playing in a back four. Arsene Wenger likes him as a wing back. He even used him as a centre back, of course, in a, in a three, but doesn't seem to fancy him at all as a left back in a four. So I think if we stick with four at the back, it's going to be tricky for him because he hasn't really got a position, mm. I think. You know, uh, you know, he was bought as a wing back and we're, we're seemingly not using wing backs anymore. But I think we will use wing backs. I think we will alternate a little bit between those formations as the season wears on. I think there'll be times when Wenger does go for the back three, so he might get a look in there. But yeah, I, I basically think it's one of those that just hasn't quite panned out. But confidence has to play a part in it because he does look a different player to the one we saw at the start of the season, don't you think? 
Yeah, he does. He looks uh, he looks like a guy who's got some problems, and I'm not sort of speculating as to his health or anything like that, but I just mean maybe injury problems or confidence or form certainly has deserted him. Um, you know, I think it's a good point to say that he was in the Bundesliga team of the year last year, along with a clutch mm. of Bayern Munich players. You know, you don't get in there by accident. Uh, he was a very good performer for Schalke, and he has played a lot of his career at left-back. So it's wrong mm. to say as well that he's not capable of playing left-back, but he does look a bit more exposed playing left-back when, when he's in the team with us. That could be down to our defensive system as well. Um it's troubling, I think. You know, one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago, James, was the the issues he has on the ball and how his pass completion stats were really quite low. So yeah. I was curious to look at what happened to him when he came on at halftime against Everton in a game in which we were very safe. I won't say completely and utterly in control because they had a decent spell in the first, what, 15 minutes of the the second half when they were running off that team talk from Allardyce. Um, 57% pass completion, which is really, really low. There's something wrong somewhere. I don't know what it is, and we can speculate here um, for all kinds of reasons, whether it's an injury, whether it's adaptation time, whether he's low on form, whether it's all of those things, but there's something really definitely wrong because I find it easier for that to be the case than for Arsenal to have scouted and bought a player who people might laugh at this, who looks at this moment in time so far removed from being good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those stats are pretty alarming aren't they I mean he's kind of <laughs> he makes Alexis Sanchez look consistent on the ball at the moment yeah. I, 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 uh, I do find that odd and I do think that it is easy to forget quite how promising he did look when he first arrived I mean the other thing to say is that we are quick to write players off and we are only kind of six months into his Arsenal career and this is his first season in English football and it used to be said that you'd give someone six months to a year to adapt to the English game I know that it's now you know the European leagues are kind of more similar and the transitions happen quicker but perhaps as well there's an element of acclimatisation perhaps there are other things going on you know outside of football you never know Mm. he's changed country you know a lot of a lot of things can affect your mentality your state of mind and subsequently your game but yeah I, I think the manager's obvious lack of confidence in him has probably had an effect on the player mm. and I'm always struck by I remember when Gary Neville I think was first commentating on Kalasinac I think he said something about he looks like he, he could run all day going forward but he looks a lot slower going back and and I and I think that Arsene Wenger kind of has those same fears about Kalasinac that you know going forward he's so powerful and penetrative but he's not quite as effective mm. going in the other direction yeah it's true I um, Lewis Ambrose, who does the tactics column for us on, on Ars blog and uh, knows his stuff when it comes to the Bundesliga, wrote a piece last summer talking about Kalasinak and what sort of a player we were getting. And he talked about him, you know, being six feet tall, incredibly stocky. He doesn't look like much of a fullback, he says. However, his, ha- his size hardly slows him down and he's good on the ball. At times he can be inefficient and look a little unclean in possession but is so physically dominant that he can make up for errors routinely. So, you know, we're not talking about somebody who 
was in any way unconvincing as a as a Schalke player. Um, he performed very well for them. So, yeah, I think you're right. We do tend at times to write players off too quickly. I mean, I see it happening with Alex Iwobi. And I'm not saying Alex Iwobi should be a, a first-team starter uh, week in, week out for Arsenal. But there's an unwillingness at times when people have made their mind up about a player to change their mind, despite the fact that that player may well provide evidence to the contrary. You know that they may well rediscover some form, and I think that's been that's been true of Iwobi uh, recently. Um, yeah. So you know, we need to be a bit more open to the idea that players um, aren't always going to be brilliant, and they're going to go through periods where they're not brilliant. But they might also come out of those periods. And I think after just over six months at Arsenal, it would be a bit premature to write Kalasinac off which isn't to say that we shouldn't have some concerns because clearly the way he's been playing over the last few months is a little bit worrying. Certainly. And, I, you know, I, I won't be alone in hoping that Nacho Monreal's problem, whether it is illness or whether it's hamstring, is not particularly serious because, mm. yeah, I mean, it was a big it was a big moment, wasn't it, when Maitland-Niles was preferred to Kolasinac as a full-back. I think that, that, that told you something about where he is in the manager's standing mm. at the moment. Um He's got a big uphill struggle to kind of get back into the first team. But I do think it is too soon to say we should sell him, mm. you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, actually, while we're just talking about left-backs, I'll, I'll go with another question. This comes from Gunaria, um, who's at Gunaria on... Um, on Twitter, and he's talking about the North London derby, and he's saying the same formation against Spurs or play with an extra midfielder or defender away from home. Temptation to go three at the back must be very strong. Yeah, I was going to ask you the very same question. I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? You have that brilliant performance that re-energizes the fans, uh, re-energizes the team, uh, and the temptation is to kind of stick with it. But it's such a different task at White Hart Lane and such a different game uh, that I'm not so sure. I mean, who would you drop in if you were to go with with a third centre-back? Would you play, I guess, Montreal in as the third centre-back alongside Mustafi and Koscielny? Yeah, that would be the obvious one. I don't think uh, Rob Holding isn't making the matchday squads. Callum Chambers is on the bench for defensive cover, but... Yeah, it would be Monreal, and then he'd have a decision to make about who he plays at left wing back. Would it be Kolasinac? Can he afford to take a risk on a player who's struggling at this moment in time for a game like that, particularly um, against a Tottenham team that are very good going forward? Although, in fairness, Kolasinac had the measure of Trippier, uh, Trippier, Trippier um, mm. in, in the previous game at our place, mm. and that was one of mm. our best performances of the season in terms of how we controlled the game. With a back three, it looked like the the players had absolutely cracked the whole back three thing that day. We were so good. So, yeah, I would be surprised if we didn't go with three at the back, to be perfectly honest. I think that this is a game that we can't afford to lose. I mean, you know, you never want to lose North London yeah. derby, but in terms of our hopes of getting back into that top four, it's absolutely essential. I, I would be inclined to go with the back three as well because it's relatively straightforward to do. You put Montreal in uh, alongside the other two centre-halves. I personally would probably still go for Maitland-Niles at left wing-back. Just on form, I think, you know, his performances in the last couple of months have been at a higher level than Kolasinac's. 
And then, you know, Iwobi's probably the man to miss out. So you have Shaka and Ramsey and you can still have that front three of Mkhitaryan, Ozil and Aubameyang. So I, I think that's an 11 that makes sense and gives us the best chance of getting a result. That'd be, that'd be what I would pick. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably what he will go with. Away from home, I think that's where this tactical adaptability that we have now can come in, um, where you can be perhaps a bit more defensively secure uh, in, in these big games away from home. And that's what he's done. He, he's done it at, uh, uh, at Chelsea and it's, it's worked for the most part. So yeah, I think we've got to, we've got to pay some credit to the attacking potential of Tottenham. You know, Harry Kane scores a lot of goals. Ericsson is back in the team and he's, he's a very good player. Um, so I think he, he will. And I think it probably will be a Wobie who misses out, uh, Maitland Niles, I I I would fluctuate there a little bit. I think I would probably be inclined to play somebody whose natural position is uh, left wing back, and it would be a risk. But I think I probably would go for Kalasinak just for that bit of extra experience. But um, I, I think you might be right in what he does. So yeah. We shall see. We shall see. I mean, that will be an interesting battle on that side because Trippier, you know, is, is an important attacking outlet from them. So it's a big decision for us. And I, I think it will be the three, not the four. I think it. I think inevitably he's going to go for that because especially at Wembley where we've had such success with that formation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Second home. Uh, exactly. Uh, here's a question on a different tackle, kind of away from the first team. This is from Jason Bradley, who's at JS Bradley 86 on Twitter. And Jason says, with Marcus McGain following Caelan Hines and Willock out of the club to move abroad, are you worried we might have a problem holding on to our best academy players? And then he's put us a little addendum on that. Time to get Nelson tied down to a long-term contract. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a very interesting development, hasn't it? To see young Mm. English players go abroad because they haven't, because the academy life has been comfortable. I I don't mean just at Arsenal, but the money in England is far bigger than you would get if you went abroad. But Mm. what we're seeing is players, young English players willing to go abroad to, to teams where they may not play, where their path to the first team is not guaranteed either. I mean, Marcus McGuain went to Barcelona, Barcelona B. I mean, think about how good you have to be to get into the Barcelona team. You know, he's got good, he's got good players yeah. ahead of him at Arsenal, for sure. But at Barcelona, you know, they've an incredible team. Plus, they've got their own youth products and, and players who will be bubbling under there. So it's going to be just as difficult, if not more, for him to get into that Barcelona team. But what a place to go to develop, to learn, to experience a different kind of football, a different kind of coaching, to experience a different um, a different lifestyle at an early age where I think mm. it can make these players more rounded as not just footballers, but as young men and individuals. I think it's really good and really interesting to see it. Uh, I think the money has held a lot of these players back because, you know, if you're earning... X amount of money at academy level at one of the big clubs, you're not going to get it when you go to Benfica B, like Chris Willock did. Yeah. But he wanted to play and he wanted to go somewhere where he could uh, perhaps get into a first team um, with more opportunity than he had at Arsenal. Uh, you know, is it going to be difficult for us to hold on to our best players? It's the age old problem, right? Where when Marcus McGuane, who's played 
I don't know, half an hour football for us this season. I mean, Joe Willock is the one who was given more time in, in central midfield, which isn't to say that McGuane is not a very talented player. He's a very highly thought of prospect, but he wasn't getting anywhere near the first team, even at Europa League level, bar the odd cameo here and there. Yeah. People go crazy when he leaves, right? Why are we letting <laughs> our why are we letting our best young players go? At the same time, we want the club to sign Obama Young. We want the club to sign Mikatarian. We want the club to sign top class players in every position. That's the demand that fans have on a football club. So how does a manager with those demands balance it and try and bring in young players? And I think whatever you think about Arsene Wenger, it's one of the things he's always tried to do. This season in the Europa League, I think that the big positive of it so far has been the the, the fact that we've been able to play Nelson, Maitland-Niles, Willock, give some young players a run out. Matt Macy got a run out, I think, because of injury, but he still got a game and, and Wenger has always tried to do that. But he he did... um. He did an interview, I think it could have been part of the, no, it was a it was a talk, I think, that he did. I know Andrew Allen was, was at it, where he, he said, look, if you play a young defender, you know he's going to cost you points because he's got to learn somehow. And it's trying mm. to balance that, the willingness and the desire to give young players a chance with the knowledge that they're going to make mistakes on the job. It's so difficult. You feel for managers in that regard because fans go crazy when highly talented prospects leave, but also they want the best players in the team at all times and they want the club to spend money. So it's such a difficult one. I think it's a really great thing for Marcus McGuain, who has looked at the situation at Arsenal and said, there is Ramsey's there, Wilshire's there, Elneny's there, Xhaka's there. Um, who else have we got for central midfield? I can't remember. But uh, Joe Willock has been giving some games in, in central midfield. Yeah. If you're looking at Arsenal and you're an Arsenal fan, which this kid is as well, he knows that probably in the summer we, we have to address our issues in that area of the pitch, right? With a signing, with another signing, which makes his path mm. to first-team football even more difficult. So he's decided to go somewhere else, and I'm sure he's gone in there with his eyes wide open. He's not going there to necessarily, I'm sure his ambition is to get into the Barcelona team, but I think it's about developing and about learning new things as a footballer and being open to those new experiences. And maybe he'll come back to England and play at a reasonable level, but with this this extra knowledge, with this extra learning under his belt, I think it's great for him and fair play. I'm curious to see how he does I think I saw a story last night where he came off the bench they were losing 1-0 and he helped them turn the game around and Barcelona be 1-2-1 so he's playing oh great and actually you know Barcelona B is playing at a very competitive level because of the system yeah, over in Spain true. you know that's the difference as well that even if you're going to a B team it's not like playing under 23 football with 300 people standing around a sideline these are proper games against proper teams proper men and uh, I think it'll be great for him. And well done. I, I give him all the credit in the world for it. Yeah, I think it's uh, impressive. I have to say, like, I, it is a growing trend for British players to to go abroad and look for new challenges. There was a good story in the week. I don't know if you saw this, but um, 
uh, on deadline day. It was only a lone move, but Everton's uh, Adamola Lukman uh, insisted on going to uh, Red Bull Leipzig on loan. He was offered some other moves in England and he chose to go to Germany. And Sam Allardyce the next day was so disparaging about it, saying, you know, we offered him moves in the Premier League and in the Championship. I don't understand why he wanted to go to Germany. And he then came off the bench and scored the winner in the Bundesliga <laughs> uh, on his debut, uh, which was really one in the eye for Allardyce, which I really enjoyed. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, when Willock went to to Portugal, I, I wish him all the best. And the same with Heinz in Germany. I, I think these players are brave and doing positive things for their development. And as an Arsenal fan, I'm not too worried. The reason being that when you look at the young players that we have, Bellerin has broken through into the first team, kept his place. Iwobi has done that. I think Reese Nelson, there's going to be space made for him in the squad. When you look at the attacking options we have, he, you know, I think there is room for him actually to grow and make a breakthrough. I think the ones who are at the top, top, top uh, bracket of the academy will find space for the most part. It's just, it's so competitive that there is never going to be room for everybody. And if young players recognise that and move on early, early on and mm. improve their career, I think that's probably better than what, say, a Tuba Akpom has done, who has stuck around, you know, and actually it's probably stagnated his career. Did somewhat. you did you so, read the comments he made actually when he went to uh, this Belgian club where he's, I mean, on the one hand, you can't fault his ambition where he says he wants to come back and become an Arsenal player. He wants to use this loan move to, to prove to Arsene Wenger that he can be an Arsenal player. And on the other hand, you're going, dude, like mm. you've had so many loan moves. It just hasn't worked on loan, nothing you've done on loan has suggested that you've got any kind of long-term future here. And at whatever age he is now, what is he? Maybe twenty-two, Chuba Agpom. You need twenty-two, maybe twenty-three. I think. Right, Chuba Agpom is twenty-two. Will be twenty-three in October. There must right. come a point in your career where you go, okay, I've got to reassess. Like this is my life's ambition, but I'm not going to get there this way. I'm not going to get there and do it the way I thought I was going to do it. Maybe you can go somewhere and rebuild like someone like, uh, uh, Look at the, mm. look at the way his career went. He realized very quickly that he wasn't going to have the chances at Arsenal because of the competition. He dropped down a couple of divisions. I think he went to MK Dons and then he, he went, did, yeah. then he moved to Wolves. Then he got a move to Bournemouth and is playing Premier League football for Bournemouth. And maybe that's the trajectory that someone like Akpom has to take. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a, it's a very interesting crop of young players we've got at the moment. I think, I, I think we can be a little bit excited by them, even if we're uh, big enough and experienced enough to know that only a few of them are going to make it, if, if any. Um, I think there's a good crop of players there. So... It'll, it'll be uh, interesting to keep an eye on them. And uh, the manager has quite, quite clearly given them some playing time this season very deliberately. So uh, we'll see how yeah, it goes. We will indeed. All right. Is it my question? Your question? It is indeed. All right. Ian Wright, who is at IH Wright and not uh, top goal scorer Ian Wright, says... Um, sure. The league tries to make pitches a uniform size where possible. Most groundskeepers try to create a different service. surface. Travel is not an ordeal. The team stays in comfortable hotels. Why are we bad when we play away and good at home? Great question and one that Arsene Wenger himself has been asking this week. He's spoken in his press conference about how 
you know, the, I think he said his greatest frustration in his time as football is the difference between home and away. He can't understand it objectively why teams perform differently. I think that's quite an extraordinary thing to say. I think that anyone who attends foot, live football matches has a kind of inherent sense of why teams perform differently home and away. I just think that there are those intangible factors like atmosphere and confidence that that are different on different grounds and different occasions i mean you feel at home at home right mm. yes you do you do i mean it's clear you look at our home record and it's really really good because the team obviously feels comfortable there it can only be a psychological thing though right it is it is entirely psychological. I don't think it's to do with pitch size or anything like it. I also think that form is like a curiously permissive thing. I think if you go into an away game sort of knowing that you're a bad away team, I think that that inevitably influences you. I mean, you know, it sounds like hocus pocus, but there are so many studies on sort of the nature of positive thinking and the, the involvement of sports psychologists at the highest level tells you how important these incremental things can be. And I just think... They stack up, and right now, Arsenal... We, we have seen the times as well under Arsene Wenger where Arsenal have been the inverse, right? Where we've yeah. been very good on the road and struggled to recreate that at home. Yeah, I don't know that there's a switch or a magic answer or anything like that, but it's a psychological problem. There can't be any other reason for it. You know, you look at the way the team plays at home, the way it's uh, capable of performing, the teams it's capable of getting results against and beating or at least not losing, and then you look at them away from home, you look at the, some of the teams that we've played against, and they're just fucking shite. Like, I'm sorry, but Swansea, you know, struggling all season long. Stoke, Bournemouth... There's no reason why we shouldn't be beating those teams away from home. And I do think it has to be some weight of pressure now that makes the players a bit more anxious, makes them perhaps a bit error-prone, a bit more error-prone. Um, what the solution is or how we fix it, I, I really don't know. I think the only way to do it is try and be as solid as possible and to go through a period where we don't lose. We may not win as many games as we might like, but maybe it's worth just being a bit more cautious away from home. Um, I, you know, the, the difficulty there, of course, is that between now and the end of the season, we need to win a lot of games to get into the top yeah. four if we've got any chance to go into the top four. So we can't necessarily be cautious. We, we have to go for it a bit away from home. So it's going to just take a, a run of games, a run of results away that that sort of eases that burden, takes that monkey off our backs. And until that happens, I think we're going to be, we're going to be inconsistent on the road. It's funny what it's done to our kind of perception of our uh, capacity to get points now, or at least my perception. You know, I used to think, look at the fixture list and I'd look at some away and think, well, that's a winnable one or yeah. that's a difficult one. Uh, you know, and, and, and now I look at every away game and think, well, I just have to accept we might lose that game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, it I don't know why, yeah. <laughs> but somehow we will find a way to fuck it up against the team that we should be beating. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're like, we're just impossible to predict when it comes to, to, uh, to games away from home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I I think it is all it is all psychological, and maybe a really positive uh, result away from home, you know, could change that. And we've got an opportunity to do that next weekend. So fingers crossed for that one. Yeah, but again, you know, we looked at that Everton game perhaps as one that could do something similar. You know, it didn't really. But yeah, I mean, look, going going to Tottenham and beating them once I was going to say on their own ground. It's not their own ground, of course. Um, <laughs> 
you know, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it would be a big I think it would be a big uh, a big boost to the confidence if we could go there. It's a ground we know very well. It's not as intimidating as White Hart Lane can be, and we know we can win games at Wembley. So I think it would be a good idea or a good thing for us to win there. Certainly, so yeah. Well, I mean, and it would bring us within one point of Spurs as well, which which feels pretty amazing, to be honest, given how the two teams' respective season have been portrayed uh, at any stage. Yeah, for but, sure. But um, let's uh, have another question. This might seem a very strange question to ask in the light of the weekend's events, but it comes from Wicklow Guna, who's at Donal Lynch on Twitter. Okay. Uh, and Donal says... Um, do we need to rip up our midfield and start again? And if so, does that mean cashing in on Rambo a summer? Okay, I've got a question here as well about Aaron Ramsey. I just want to read it out while we're on this subject. It's from Public El Nenny. Oh, I like that. Very good. He's got the Public Enemy nice. uh, Very good. logo yeah. with El Nenny in the middle. Nicely played. He's at Belguna. And he says, Ramsey is quietly becoming, uh, becoming a key member of the team. The elite are sniffing around. Why is he still so underrated by his own fans? And are we in danger of driving him out of the club as he's about to reach his peak years? So the contract thing will come to, um, and his future, which I think is very important, will come to in a moment as well. But... Um, the question that you asked, which I now can no longer remember, oh, it was yes. basically rip up the midfield. Um, do we need to rip up midfield? And if so, you know, should a, a sale of Ramsey be used no, to facilitate? No, no, that no, process? no, no, no. Do not sell Ramsey. Keep Ramsey. Keep even Xhaka. Keep Wilshire. Uh, I don't mind even keeping Al Nenny. What we need is a player who can kind of glue it all together. And do you right. not do you not look at our midfield and think if we had somebody who who f- fulfilled that defensive role for us mm. that that player is somebody who could work with Xhaka, give Xhaka a bit more freedom and less def- defensive responsibility because he's not good at that stuff would work really well with Ramsey obviously because he's a player who likes to get forward could work really well with Jack Wilshire because he too has got a bit more attacking instincts. I think what we need to do is keep the midfielders that we have and add somebody who who brings real quality to 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 that area of the pitch. Mm. I don't see the point in selling Aaron Ramsey and bringing in somebody else because we rob ourselves of a player who can contribute an awful lot going forward and goals from midfield are going to be really, really important for us. Um, it's been an area where we haven't had a lot of goals, you know, apart from the odd Xhaka belter. We haven't had too many goals from midfield or from anyone else in midfield this season apart from Aaron Ramsey. So I, I think it's really important that we keep him. I think it's not quite as important as Mesut Ozil, but I think if we want to build a team that's competitive – and build on the additions of Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, whoever else we bring in in the summer, you can't let a key player go. And I think we've got to get Ramsey tied down to a new deal as soon as possible. Yeah, well, are are you concerned about that? I mean, we're now, what, 18 months from the end of his contract, or or less than that, I suppose. um, There hasn't been any particular news about it and we you know if it gets to the end of the season we'll suddenly be in that precarious 12 months position we were in with Ursula and, and Sanchez are, are you worried about about that at this yeah, stage yeah I'm a bit worried about Ramsey because can we can we risk another situation like Sanchez like Ozil now I know we came out uh, on top with the Ozil situation but can we 
or should we really deal with another one of those situations next year? We've got one going on with mm. Wilshire at this moment in time where there's a mm. deal on offer. We don't know what's happening there, whether he's going to sign it or not. It is a distraction. It becomes a distraction whether you like it or not, whether you say players can compartmentalize it or they can uh, they can be professional about it when they go on the pitch. It is still a distraction. It, it, it hangs over things. And I think the Oza one, the Sanchez one obviously did. I think we've got to do everything we can to get him signed up between now and June. And if he doesn't want to sign, perhaps he might feel like he wants to move. He might want to move to a club abroad, perhaps. And if that's the case, there's not much you can do about that. Players have only got one career, and if they've got ambitions to to play abroad, then what can you do? But I think we should go as far as we possibly can when it comes to Ramsey. I really do. I think I think he's an important part of what we're trying to build. He's uh you know, he's a goal scoring midfielder. He's a he's um he's a player who's produced on big occasions and in big moments for this team. Two FA Cup final winners, let's not forget. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. a player may not be the most consistently excellent player, but they're a player for big moments and big occasions and big games. And I think he's one of those. And I think we would be weaker without him, regardless of who else we bring in during the summer, because we, we've got to we've got to stop thinking this like for like or one out one in. How about one in on top of what we've already got? Because that makes us better and makes us more competitive. So yeah, get him signed up for me. Get him signed up. I wonder if how much the Mesut Ozil contract um, influences negotiations with Ramsey. I mean, presumably Ozil landing himself that big salary. Anyone talking to the club on Ramsey's behalf suddenly going to shift their wage demands a bit, aren't they? Probably going to bump up the price a little bit in order to yeah. to keep him at the club. Um, I think that's inevitable. But, you know, if Ramsey was to go on the market, I think we'd see his value in European football. I think you'd see how many clubs would be interested in taking Aaron Ramsey from Arsenal. And I think... Not just, you know, not just are, clubs in Europe, James. I think really? club, yeah, right. clubs in England. I think you you could look around and say, yeah, there'd be clubs in England that would take him from us. Do you not think? Yeah, oh yeah, I agree. No, sorry, I agree with you. I thought yeah. you meant outside Europe. Thinking, oh no, 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 no. I meant to, sorry, I meant in England as well. Um, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, definitely, I think the big clubs. I think I think there are plenty of. I think all all the big teams would be interested in Aaron Ramsey. Mm. Uh, and I think if he if he isn't going to sign, the one thing I would say. We have to really learn the lessons, I think, of the Alexis Sanchez situation and put that to bed as early as possible, Yeah, you know, and yep. not let it drag on as we did with Alexis. Okay, um, I've got a couple more. Uh, quick one from Russ Morgan on Facebook, who says, will Arsenal need to sign not one, but two goalkeepers at the end of the season? Well, certainly one, because Ospina will go, won't he? I mean, there's been absolutely no hint of an extension from him. So I think that one's done and dusted. Um, it was interesting, wasn't it? The big story that sort of broke, I think it was in sports, was it? In in the Catalan press about Arsenal potentially being interested in Jan Oblak, the yeah. Atletico Madrid goalkeeper. Um that would be an exciting one. I mean, he's a superb keeper and I think he's about 25 in terms of age. So certainly fit the bill. I, I think, I think it'll probably be one and they'll probably try and bring Emmy Martinez back into the fold. I know he's had a bit of a disastrous uh, season, yeah. not really got the development. I don't think so. I think it's done for, for Emmy, to be honest. Do you? Yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe so. I think well, you just think he hasn't done enough. Yeah, he hasn't done enough. His loan spells have not gone well enough. He's now 25 years of age. He's going to be 26 in September, and he has barely played first-team football. Um, so I think, no. At this point in his career, he needs to go somewhere, reassess his level, and say, I need to play on a regular basis. And it's not going to be at Arsenal, and I don't think it should be at Arsenal. Matt Macy's a, a prospect, of course, um, but he's still young uh, and, and could play backup. But I don't think I don't think Emmy Martinez is the guy. Do you think then it might be that Arsenal need to bring in two goalkeepers? Maybe it might be a case that Petr Cech could stay on as the number two. You know, in the final year of his contract or the final year, yeah, I think why not? If you bring in a goalkeeper. And Czech is happy to stay and compete. I don't think that would be a bad thing at all. So I think there's definitely going to be a case for one goalkeeper. I think if Ospina goes, what we shouldn't be doing is buying a number two for Czech. What we should be doing is sourcing a number yeah. one. I think that's the that's the key thing. And I think that's one of the big things we've got to get done this summer is buy a number one goalkeeper. Um, so whether it's Jan mm. Oblak or I've seen people mention uh, Timo Horn as well as a potential candidate, that's uh, somebody apparently Mislintat has been recommending. It's Raul Sanlehi who is uh, who's after Jan Oblak. So we'll we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But it's clearly a position we need to strengthen, right? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, 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 it's not even necessarily a slight on check to say that we should go and number one goalkeeper. I just think that, you know, we need a man for the future. Mm. Uh, we need a man who can, you know, be the goal for the next five years rather than the next one. And yeah, uh, yeah if it's Timo Horn or it's Jan Oblak or whoever, that must be one of the choices in the summer. All right. Have you got one more or will I go crack on with my last one? Um, I actually had that. I had that one, essentially. I right. about the goalkeeper. So, yeah, you go with the other one. Okay. Um, here is a question from Michael, who's at... Uh, Sissi Fusa on Twitter, who says, with important revelations that Rihanna is a gooner, who are each of your favourite and least favourite celebrity gooners? <laughs> I think the least favourite's easy. Yeah, um, yeah. I think everyone knows. <laughs> I almost don't need to say. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't need to say, do we? I mean, we all saw the... Uh, yeah, the, the, the ludicrous thing he did, uh, that, that sort of puff piece interview. But of course, we are talking about uh, Piers Morgan. Um, that would be your one, yeah? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Favourite celebrity, Guna? Um, I don't know, actually. There's, uh, loads there's so of, many out there. Yeah, there's loads of them, aren't there? I mean, there's the, the Spandau Ballet crew there out there. Of course. Um. I'm now Googling famous Arsenal fans. Well, There's lots of people claiming to be Arsenal fans that I'm not that I'm not sure about. But Like who? I mean, I've got Charlize Theron here. Is oh, she yeah? an Arsenal fan? i got no idea, but that's... Um, yeah, I could live with that, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. loads. I mean, John Ronson, who's been on the podcast, he's an Arsenal fan. Mark Strong, the actor, he's an Arsenal fan. Um, According to IMDb, <laughs> Jackie Chan. Jackie According Chan is an Arsenal fan. Come on, really? I don't think this is a correct list. Mm. It's got people like 
This is like my most handsome footballer list. I'm going to abandon it. There is a there is a great um, um, there's yeah. a great big long list on Arseweb, which was the um, the original Arsenal website back in the day, um, and they have a yeah. they have a big huge list here of of people. Uh, who are Arsenal fans. Douglas Adams, apparently, the uh, author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They mentioned Piers Morgan, cunt, uh, in there as well. Michael Moore, um, the uh, documentary maker. Spike oh, Lee. Wow, that's quite a cool one. Spike Lee's an Arsenal fan as well. He is indeed, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there are plenty. It's difficult to choose. Have you got a favourite? No, I, you know, I, I, once they're not Piers Morgan, it's fine. Yeah. My favourite is not rest- Piers Morgan. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't disagree with that mm. at all. Um, was, yeah, the, the rest are all welcome. Yeah, it was funny, wasn't it, seeing uh, Rihanna at the, the stadium? She was hanging out with the players, talking yeah. afterwards, declaring her goonerhood. All right, I'm a gooner. All right, I'm a gooner. <laughs> it's true. Now, I mean, you probably don't know this, but I'll tell you a story about Rihanna. Go on. Her association with Arsenal goes back a long time. Did you know that? It's not recent. No, I didn't know that. Now, look, you know, James, that I am um, a very well-connected guy. Very well-connected. Of course. In, across many industries. and back Fingers in, in many pies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Man of many talents, of course, as well. You know, I don't just uh, do this. I do many, many other things, such as this and that. And um, Sure. You do that as well as this. Yeah, that as well as this. And, you know, so, some years ago, I had an approach from a record company telling me about a brand new star they had, brand new, called Rihanna. And unbeknownst to everybody, she was having, what's the word I should use here, a a lovely romance with a young Arsenal player. Mm. Seriously, a young Arsenal player that we had signed from, from Guadalajara. And this record company, it was all secret, all hush-hush, but they wanted, they were very smart because they realized that Arsenal fans online can make things happen. This was in the burgeoning days of the the influence of Arsenal fans on the internet. Right. And they said to me, look, we want to do something amazing here. Will you write a song for Rihanna, which sort of touches on this romance that she's involved in, and we can get all the Arsenal fans to, to get it to number one. And I said, oh, okay, oh, yeah, okay. Never written a song before, but okay. for you guys, I'll, sure. I'll give it a try. I'll see what I can do. So give I went it a whirl. A, give it a whirl. Went away, freestyled some lyrics off the top of my dome, got the old piano out. <laughs> Can't play the piano, but, you know, I still got it out. And I came up with something. Yeah, I was, it. I was very, yeah, I was very happy with it. Really happy with it. And I sent it off to them. Do you want to hear a demo? I, I, I kept it. It's a, it's a little demo. And I can play it for you right now, if you like. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Really, yeah, we all would. Okay, here, here it is. This is, what, this is what I came up with way back in the day when uh, Rihanna's romance with this young Arsenal player was, was still a secret. Okay. I'm in love with Carlos Vela. He's my goal-scoring Mexican fella. He doesn't even have an umbrella. Cause it never <laughs> rains with Carlos Vela. Vela, Vela, hey, hey. Now, now. <laughs> One is beautiful. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Coincidentally, not long after I provided them with that demo, mm. Rihanna made it big with a song called Umbrella. 
No, it could be just coincidence. Uh, what do you think? It must be. Just sounded the exact same, had the same beat, the same... You've been had. Pad. I've been had. You've been absolutely I? had. It's a fucking disgrace. But there you I, go. I guess maybe something went wrong in the interpersonal relationship and maybe she felt the lyrical changes were necessary. But the fact that you haven't really received any credit for or, that song subsequently is a disgrace. Yeah, or royalties, I should point out. Not a, not a, yeah, not a single nuts, penny. Yeah. Sometimes that's the way it works. The music industry is well, a cruel and fickle beast, James. Chew you up and spit you out. You're very sanguine about it. I'm impressed. You're very mature about the whole business. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can get too hung up on these things. But Rihanna's sure. cool. I think Rihanna's cool. I also think uh, I have sort of visions of Arsene Wenger using some Rihanna when he goes to uh, Stan Kroenke in the summer, you know, l- looking for some uh, looking for some cash to spend on new players. This better have my money. Yeah. <laughs> this better have my money. <laughs> it's all good, right? Yeah, I imagine that. He's got that, you know, he's pl- playing on the speakers while he's driving into, into the meeting in the boardroom. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> All right, well, look, on that, uh, uh, on that musical note, I think we better leave it there before the internet falls down around our head like a cow on Sam Allardyce. It still hasn't yes. happened. We, no, still hasn't happened. We wait, we wait. We watch Everton, every Everton game this season, waiting for that cow to drop out of the sky. It could happen at any point. Look, if Arsenal fans can commandeer a plane and put a banner behind it, don't rule out the cow thing. Yeah, exactly. They can make that happen instead of just the random occurrence of a cow plane or a cattle plane going over. Um, All right. Well, look, thank you for sticking with us, everyone. Thank you for listening as ever. Uh, We really appreciate it. I'll be here on Friday with a pre-North London Derby Arscast. We'll be looking ahead to that one. Um, So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Uh, Goodbye. Bye-bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.